Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This week, we're telling the story of Turkish Airlines Flight 1951. Thanks for listening. This is just, this is not like an organized effort. <laughs> not so. at all. No, no that's more well, the point of this story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like reinventing the wheel mm-hmm. every week, but... <laughs> Um, yeah, today we are doing Turkish Airlines flight, uh, 1951. So I don't, I think we've done maybe one or two other Turkish Airlines flights. Turkish Airlines, I think at present is the airline that flies to the most destinations of any airline that may or may not. Of all airlines, they oh, wow. fly to the most unique like destinations, but that may or may not be true because, um, you know, other airlines, if you notice that like, oh, Turkish is doing, you know, like four more routes than us, then they'll just like try to add routes so they can advertise, <laughs> as, right. like, you know, but, um, but as a, an example, right, Turkish Airlines, at least sometimes is the airline in the world that flies <laughs> to the most unique destinations, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. It's like the and, same, uh, like the most popular airport or whatever it is. It's kind of like that. Right. Yeah. Like the most the busiest the most or whatever. People yeah. or, right. <laughs> is the biggest snake the longest? Right. The, right. Like heaviest. Yeah. yeah. But um, it's like something people, I don't know, just got sports <laughs> on the brain. But yeah. Like in, people are like, how is it that like someone breaks some record <laughs> like every single game yeah. is because the, the records are like most yards <laughs> yes. on a thursday yes. <laughs> in november in the uh, last five in years the third quarter yes. yeah in the last five years <laughs> like um but yeah so anyway sometimes turkish airlines is the airline that flies to the most places perfect and i think that's pretty cool and uh on this day we're flying from uh istanbul at a turk so not the big like IST mm, um mm-hmm. like not the major airport in Istanbul but like a smaller one like the LaGuardia of Istanbul yeah um and they're flying to Amsterdam Schiphol airport um which incidentally KLM which is the Dutch Amsterdam has too many names can we just say it there's too yeah. many different Holland Amsterdam Dutch Netherlands yeah it's a lot. You got a lot going on with the name thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, um, but KLM, the Royal Dutch Airways or whatever, because somehow KLM stands for Royal Dutch Airways in, yeah. in Dutch. But um, KLM is also like one of the airlines that flies to like the most destinations. So like this is a pretty like sick combo, right? Yeah. You're like, you know, you could really go anywhere in the universe uh taking this route so that's cool um so we're flying from ataturk to sheephole um it's february 25th 2009 so four and a half weeks ago i guess yep and uh we're flying a seven-year-old 737 uh still quite young right like seven is not old at all for 737 (laughs) And we've got uh, 135 souls on board. Um, that's 128 passengers, four flight attendants, and three pilots. So this is actually like a training flight, mm. which I wish they didn't come up so much in our stories. But uh, the captain is uh, an instructor pilot, Captain Hassan. He's 54. He's been with Turkish Airlines for ages. He's one of the most experienced pilots at Turkish Airlines. And he actually, before working for Turkish Airlines, was the uh, a fleet commander in the Turkish Air Force. So, like, tons of experience. Very, very, very experienced pilot. Mm. Um, next to him, in the first officer's seat, so on the right side of the cockpit, is the trainee, uh, I think Murat, I think is how you say this name, M-U-R-A-T, Murat, mm-hmm. but apologies if that's not how I should be saying it. Um, he is 
he was also in the Turkish Air Force, um, but he's been working with uh, Turkish Airlines now. He's 42. And uh, this is his 18th flight with Turkish Airlines. So he's still, you know, again, he's been flying for a long time, but uh, commercial aviation, working for Turkish Airlines, flying a 737 is pretty new to him. Yeah. Um, and then in the jump seat between them is Olge. Olge is the safety pilot. He is a first officer. Um, his, you know, he's there in case he's there as like a support personnel right he's there in case anything happened to the captain so that you don't have a trainee like all by himself you know he's an extra set of hands an extra brain more knowledge to try to keep everybody safe and uh keep everything rolling i know that you sometimes have to like train people while you're working and it is hard right it's like way more work (laughs) to do your job while you're training somebody so so yeah, they've got uh, Olga. He's there in the jump seat, lending a hand. They're leaving at the crack of dawn so early, but it is a totally normal flight. Normal, normal, normal. Like just no problems. Mm. They fly through the sky going east to west. So they're going with the sun and uh, still burning up some time. It's a three and a half hour flight. And so by the time they're coming in close to Amsterdam, they're, uh, it's like, 9 30 in the morning ish and again like god bless that part of the world but the weather is to me not that nice (laughs) like you know it's it's foggy but it's not like it's not crazy foggy it's just kind of like one of those gray it's february what do you expect right right? how nice could the weather be right Uh, it's february it's kind of a gray like misty foggy day but there's no problems nobody's having any trouble landing at sheeple airport there's uh it's the the visibility once you're actually down on the ground is fine so we're good we're good normal day all right normal day of work um as they're coming in so murat the trainee is the one flying because he's being trained but um they're mostly using the autopilot which as i hope we've established by this time the autopilot is not like you set the autopilot and leave <laughs> right like right. you run the autopilot so he's flying they are using the uh, autopilot to support their flight and uh sheeple airport is an extremely extremely busy airport um, it's just very lots and lots of planes in the morning. There's just going to be more flights, you know, especially when the weather is fine for flying. Totally fine. No weird wind. It's not raining. There's no precipitation. The visibility is fine when you're actually closer to the ground. Like, no problem. So the, <laughs> the airport is bopping. And as they're coming in, they're having to, like, change like the speed the altitude the heading they're they're coming down getting closer and closer to the ground so they can land but it's just it's pretty the workload is decently high um they call the uh air traffic controller or the approach controller so they're coming in closer and um they are talking to them getting their heading and their uh new altitude like how they can how far they can descend and as they're coming down they get a like they get the landing gear warning Hmm. um and that doesn't make any sense because they're not they're like thousands of feet in the air still right and that's uh, the that warning is supposed to go off if they're coming down and like about to land and have forgotten to drop the gear that's what that warning is supposed to tell them but they are still thousands of feet in the air talking to air traffic control and they've got this like like blaring alarm that makes no sense right and so they're like trying to figure out what it is. And uh, <laughs> so these planes, these early 2000s 737s yeah. have a problem with their radio altimeter. 
So the radio altimeter, like how does a plane know where it is? How does a plane know what the altitude is? And they've got, because it's a plane, there's like redundancy. There's going to be more than one way that the plane knows how high or low it is. Right. And one of those features, one of the things, one of the ways that the plane measures how high it is, is using a radio altimeter. And again, to me, witchcraft. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> what a, a marvelous time to live in. The um, There's like an antenna like the, down on the, the plane's belly. And it's like echolocation. It sends out radio signals. And those radio signals bounce off the ground, like the terrain underneath, mm. and then bounce back. And the plane measures like how high they are by how long that radio signal takes to bounce back and that's probably not exactly right but it's pretty close to that yeah. <laughs> so like the way bats catch prey right, you know right. like it's it's echolocation and that's useful because again you can be like how how high are you from like sea level is not nearly as important as how high are you compared to the ground that's actually beneath you mm. right so that's it's it should be very accurate for telling you how far away you are from the ground below you gotcha and uh and on these planes they're wonky they don't work that well they do weird things this radio altimeter uh they've got this thing blaring at them right now telling them like hey oh no you're about to land oh no when they're thousands of feet in the air and on the captain's radio altimeter on the dash, it says they are negative eight feet oh, great. in the air. Their altitude is eight feet underground. I don't even know why it has a negative setting. Right. It makes no sense. Like, like, like is that sea what? level maybe? Like, and I don't even know why you would fly below sea level. Like, you couldn't. Right. Like, if you're a... <laughs> a submarine right. that's like a james bond plane that can also like dive into the right. ground like right. those birds yeah like i don't know but for whatever reason it says <laughs> negative eight feet now they know they're not negative eight feet in the air and they know that these radio altimeters have problems yeah, they just especially the captain like hassan he's been doing this for right. a long 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 time he is older than this plane he's been <laughs> working for turkish airlines much longer than this plane has been alive. Right. He's seen this. He knows. Ugh, He's like, ah, yeah. Thing. Problems. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, but they still have this like thing bang at them and very annoying, but they know why. They know what the problem is. Finally, it goes off. All this time, they're still coming in closer and closer to the airport. They're descending more and more. And there's an ILS system at Shupal Airport. So, the ILS is the instrument landing system, and that is like a system that lets the autopilot, lets the computer on the plane communicate with computers on the ground at the airport to help the autopilot land the plane. In order to land any plane with or without an ILS, you have to try to line up on a glide slope. So, again, this is old news for some of you, but a, a glide slope is just literally the slope that you take from being up in the sky to down on the ground. And it requires you, obviously, to go down, like descend, which speeds you up naturally. But you don't want to speed up because by the time you actually touch the ground, you want to be going much slower than right. you were up in the air. So you try to stay on a like predetermined safe glide slope that allows you to descend at the right speed, getting down lower and lower and lower until you touch down right on the runway. It's amazing, you know, <laughs> like yeah. this. And the ILS is going to have a like if you imagine the threshold, the very beginning of the uh, runway. And then if you drew a line straight back from that, that's where the ILS, that's where you want to be on the glide slope, right? You need to, for several miles, 
be lined up on this glide slope so that you can touch down at the right time. So they're trying to intercept the localizer, meaning they're trying to, if you, this, there's just going to be sports metaphors in this show now, I'm sorry guys, <laughs> but like an interception, if you want to intercept a ball, you have to like, you have to be <laughs> where that ball is <laughs> instead of yeah. letting the ball get to the other person, right? So if you're going to intercept the localizer, you're going to like cross the glide slope and so that your plane and the ILS system at the airport can start to talk and then keep you on the glide slope. So they're trying to do that um, and get basically lined up with all the other planes that are going to be landing at Schiphol in the next 10 minutes. Um, the problem is, again, Schiphol is a incredibly busy airport and the air traffic controllers have gotten into a habit of basically trying to like shave some time off each landing so that they can keep the planes coming mm. by having if you imagine that a perfect glide slope situation would be like I'll intercept the localizer like six and a half miles out from the runway. Mm -hmm. And that gives me enough time to get from where I am to the ground safely. Say that's perfect. They're more like maybe like people can intercept it at six miles out, right? Mm -hmm. So that you can keep everything flowing. There's less time that you're spending kind of in the way of right. other planes that need to land. Right. And as they're trying to get lined up on it, they're still like way, they're too high, not way too high. Like they literally don't have time, but they're, they're high by the time that they are lined up and like, say six miles out from the runway, they're still going to be way too high above the glide slope. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> okay. Um, the procedure is supposed to have them, like the, the Turkish Airlines procedure, is supposed to have them almost done with their checklists, have everything like ready, be configured for landing, and then get on the ILS, land the plane, no problem. But whether it's because they're getting this like very annoying warning sound that shouldn't, it doesn't make any sense because they've got this like annoying problem, kind of some of the things that go along with like training, they're still working on the checklist while they're trying to line up um, with the intercept the localizer, mm. line up for landing. And so the workload is pretty high yeah. at this point. And that stupid warning. Oh, God. has gone off like a couple more times now it went off for 90 seconds straight and then the other times when it's gone off it's just like eh, eh, like it's very annoying they intercept the localizer high about six and a half miles out uh -huh. and so morat sets the descent on the autopilot to 1400 feet a minute which is very fast. Yeah. Like it would be noticeable if you were a passenger. You would probably be aware of the fact that you were descending pretty fast, but it's not unsafe. Like it's not automatically yeah. a problem. It's just fast and it will allow them to land um, in a safe way. They're, they're lined up. The autopilot should be able to handle that no problem. The autopilot thinks that they're negative eight feet underground. So when he sets that descent to 1,400 feet per minute, they set the flaps to 15, which is landing flaps, and they drop the landing gear. Now the plane really, really, really thinks yeah. that we're about to land because we've got full flaps, we've got landing gear down, and according to the radio altimeter, we're eight feet underground, which I guess so, we're landing right now. Yeah. So because the autopilot thinks that they're directly above the runway, about to touch the ground any second, it flares automatically, right? So the autopilot thinks you're about to touch down and flares. And what flare means is you pull the engines all the way back to idle and you lift the nose of the plane up. And that's what allows you to like 
comfortably or pretty comfortably touch your wheels down and land safely. Mm. But they're still four or 500 feet in the air when it does that. So they're coming down. The engines have pulled back. The pilots don't realize that anything is wrong because they know that they're descending very rapidly. So the plane pulling the engines back to idle makes sense because they don't want to be creating more propulsion when descending alone is going to speed you up. Right. So they don't notice anything is wrong. As they continue to drop, because the plane thinks that they're going to touch the ground at any second, they drop below the glide slope. But the plane is still communicating with the glide slope. So when it feels that it's dropped below the, the they've dropped below the glide slope, the nose actually starts to lift more and more while the engines still stay on idle. And that's a stall. So suddenly they're still working on the checklists, which is wrong. They shouldn't still be working on the checklists. But again, you think about how you... The Turkish Airlines rule is that if you haven't finished your checklist by the time you're at 1,000 feet then you have to just go around because you can't be distracted. But again, I understand how this could happen. You know, you're working yeah. on checklists. You have these weird, annoying noises. The flight attendant actually came in just to let them know, like, hey, guys, like, we're, you know, the cabin is ready for landing. And so Olga, the safety pilot, is is just talking to her and like confirming that they're landing so he doesn't notice so at this like exact moment they're distracted because they think that the autopilot is doing its job and the stick shaker goes off which is going to be extremely startling if you think they can see the runway they're right there they're like immediately about to be safely on the runway stick shaker goes off now Murat is flying the plane he's the he's in command and so the stick shaker goes off and he's been in the the um simulation right like he's been training so this is very fresh in his mind he pushes his controls forward to push the nose down and revs the engines all the way up right he knows what to do in a stall so he does that but Hassan, the captain is the captain so he takes responsibility stick shaker is really dangerous he's not going to make more out like figure that out on his own he says like i have control so they he takes control of the plane he still doesn't know that the the what's wrong with the throttles he doesn't know that the plane is not actually controlling the throttles and has permanently like pulled them back it's pulled them back to idle so when murat releases control the engines pull back to idle right away but the captain doesn't see that so he pushes the nose down doing the same thing that morat was doing because it's correct but he thinks that the auto throttle is going to respond to the stall and rev the engines up and it doesn't and so they're go back to just like falling out of the sky and the captain sees it and he shoves the engines forward and it's too late And a mile short of the runway, the runway right in front of them, there's a field, like a a plowed empty field in February. And the plane, the tail hit down first onto the ground and then the rest of the plane smacked down. And when it smacked down, it broke apart into three pieces, the nose, the belly and the, the tail all ripped apart and the engines went flying and as it came to a stop some people were able to get up out of their chairs and they just walked out climbed out of the 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 belly the the holes in the fuselage right and started to like get out and walk away and people are immediately afraid of an explosion yeah. or a fire and started to try to like get away from the plane as best they could. Now, it's my understanding that this crash was a major event 
in Amsterdam. And there are a lot of conflicting reports Hmm. about maybe the first few hours after the crash. So I don't know for sure. This is my best understanding. Um, I'm more than happy to read anything if anyone knows more about it or wants to show me anything. But so it seems like the first people to show up at the scene were some cops, like six or seven police officers. And there was no mayday call, like like everything was fine, and then it wasn't, and they crashed. Right. And so the cops who showed up seemed to have focused on just getting people who had climbed out away from the plane in case it blew up and keeping people like other people like people who pulled over on the road or or just anybody from going back onto the plane Mm. so it seems like the people the first people who showed up did not do any rescue Some people say that it took the firefighters and rescue personnel 45 minutes to arrive. Some people say it didn't take that long, but it does seem, I know that if you're waiting, if you're in the plane or if your family member is on the plane, yeah, you, I mean, anything, it would feel like forever, no matter what. Right. When they showed up. They were still, the plane was not on fire, but they were still worried about a fire or an explosion or something. And it took, it took an extremely long time, like until eight o'clock in the evening. So 9.30 a.m., 8 p.m. to actually get everybody off the plane and by that time nine people had died including all three of the pilots there a few passengers said that um That Morant was still alive when the plane initially crashed. The rescue personnel did initially try to get in to the cockpit, but couldn't get in. And apparently, at some point, they established that all three of the pilots had died. And so they believing that all three of them were gone, Mm -hmm. didn't disturb the, didn't, just left it alone until their, like the Dutch NTSB people had shown up. So one flight attendant and the pilots, and then there are also some, um conspiracy theories around this story mm. that I'm going to just brush by yeah that um so nine people died uh, nine human beings people yeah. and the the pilots one of the flight attendants and then of the other five passengers who died three of them were Americans who worked for Boeing And they apparently, according to more than one passenger who survived, the cops who initially showed up um, did go on the plane to take their laptops, the three Boeing engineers' laptops, And it seems like there's 
at least an idea that has persisted that their laptops might have had some like confidential or like top secret information on it. I don't know any of that. There's no reason now, absolutely no reason, period, full stop, no reason to think that this was not a standard plane crash. There's no Mm, reason to think it was a like intentional homicide murder or anything like that yeah it does seem like one of the problems in the initial rescue was that some of the people who arrived thought that it should be initially treated like it might be a crime scene that can't be messed with and other people were like it's not a fucking crime scene it's a plane crash like you know we have there's people on board ultimately i mean 120 of the passengers went to the hospital. There were 60 ambulances that eventually showed up. And um, like the once the rescue effort got started, it happened in earnest. I don't want to act like the people who came didn't that they didn't try to give people as much help as they could once it got rolling. But I think that the confusion and pace and order of the response when it initially crashed was very upsetting and yeah. disturbing. Yeah. So and certainly and not what you be, would expect. Yeah. Right. Like I, right. I that that seems I mean, even if it was, you know, less than forty five minutes, still that's it seems like it did take everybody a long time to get out there considering yeah how close it was to the actual airport right and like midday and all right. of that and there were some things that happened really efficiently like the um they like shut down the um like nearby roads like immediately so that when like rescue vehicles were going back and forth they would have like clear open roads yeah. like some stuff happened very efficiently and some stuff seems to have happened less efficiently Mm. and i do think that time is one of the hardest things to gauge when you're in these experiences like how much time has passed is extremely hard to keep track of because if you're trying to make a decision um even like like 30 seconds can feel like it was zero time at all right like no time right and if you're waiting for a decision it can feel like 10 years you know so i don't know but it was i mean i'm sure that i'm sure that they realize that it was not a great response right. that it wasn't yeah. what they would want it to be not what they had trained for not what they you know like right I like don't they know. don't feel it's, great that people died either you know no it's not like no yeah and there is that like i don't know and this is you know pardon my like ignorance but i'm not aware of you know kind of what was going on in you know 2009 in the Netherlands if they um if they were had some like reason to be particularly worried about some kind of you know crap like a sabotage or something like that I don't know if that was like I think that maybe people look at scenes through their lens so the fact that it was like cops who initially showed up might have uh we'll see if this makes it into the episode but just if if yeah like you know if the first people on the scene are cops then that might like unintentionally color the situation as a potential crime scene rather than just a regular rescue right you know right but i don't know so um what happened was not necessarily that difficult to figure out right like what happened the stupid altimeter thing was broken and it's been broken on a lot of these planes it was like a known issue 
um, there were at least 12 other times that Boeing was aware of where something like this had happened, where the altimeter had been giving the autopilot the wrong information and the autopilot had thought that they were about to land and had flared, meaning pull the engines back and lift the nose. But in those 12 previous instances, it had happened when they were at altitude, when they were at like 30,000 feet. And every time that happened, the pilots who'd been flying them had just like taken control, right? Like, like I'm a person and I'm flying, so I'm I'm going to override the autopilot right. that thinks we're eight feet underground. And that had worked. So it had never been a danger. Boeing had done like a software update to try to. So this all happened in 2009. The plane was born in 2002. Mm-hmm. Boeing had put like a software update to stop this from happening, but the software update was only viable, only worked for planes born after 2004. Oh, okay. So this plane just had, you know, missed it. It was yeah not a recent enough aircraft to be able to get the software update. In January of 2020, remember January of 2020, guys? God, yeah. In January of 2020, um, the New York Times actually put out an article that basically said that the that Boeing had pressured the Dutch authorities to downplay their responsibility for the crash, like how much responsibility Boeing had. And to like emphasize the crew's, you know, the failures of the crew, the pilot error. Uh, the Dutch authorities reopened, like opened an investigation rather into whether that was true. And then, as far as I can tell, the COVID happened and everyone forgot about it. Yeah. I know that's not probably completely true, but it's just like in January of 2020, they were like, hey, yeah, hey, jerks. And then, you know, everything got <laughs> that got wiped out. But we're still working through our to do lists from that time period. You oh, know? I, I would Everybody is. love to know what I was thinking about in January Literally. 2020. Yeah. Because that's all that's all gone. You know, like, what's crazy. That is, just yeah. No, my boss today messaged me and was like, uh, I just found a notebook from January or from 2020 and it was dated January 2020. And one of the questions in the notebook was, how am I going to explain to staff if I have to close the office? Oh, my gosh. Little did we know. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And that was when I got the um meningitis, yeah. remember? Yeah. I got the viral meningitis. Yeah. So That's I was scary. like, I will never be that sick again. Right. Truly, this is a year of health and wellness. <laughs> but um but the the changes that did come out of this, um, they actually fixed the altimeters because the thinking was that it's not a safety concern because when it causes a problem, the pilots, you know, the pilots can handle it, which I don't that seems extremely bad to me. Yeah, that's I don't know. Not Again, like a safety thing. Like, no. Like, you can't just be broken. I don't understand. Like, it's not, it doesn't seem, like, from the outside, whether this had happened or not, I don't love this idea that the altimeter could just be giving you the wrong information. Right. And just, like, blow that off as, like, one of those things. I don't get that at all. But that's where they were at, I guess. And um, so they... Set up a better reporting system because when, again, when the FAA, the Dutch authorities, the NTSB, Boeing, Turkish Airlines, like all of the different people who investigate things like this together, um, one of the things they found was that Boeing had 12 reports of this altimeter, like causing a flare, but they found way more examples of that than what Boeing had 
received reports of. Mm. So Boeing thought it had happened 12 times. Apparently it happened all the time. Yeah. But the reporting system to like tell the manufacturers when there's a problem like this, they made improvements to that, which is very good for sure. Yeah. Um, the, they actually fixed the radio altimeters. They um, trained pilots to... They added training for pilots to pay closer attention to what mode the plane's autopilot is in so that the, the cues that the pilots were getting was that everything was normal, that the engines are being, the engines pulling back makes sense because we're descending quickly. So it made sense. It didn't, it didn't feel like a problem because it was what they would expect so they didn't observe what mode the, the autopilot was in, that the, which would have mm. been another way they could have realized what was wrong. That it is what it is, right? They improved that training. Yeah. They um, also, again, not to beat up the pilots at all, but just they were like scrambling at the end to try to get through their checklists and everything. And... Again, I, I don't know how, I think it'll be different from person to person, from pilot to pilot, from airline to airline, but like the, the pressure you can feel like to, to just like, we're here, we're here, but we'll just land now. Right. Like I don't have to go around. It's, it, I can imagine it feeling incredibly stupid to go around because you didn't make it through your checklist, right? Like I can, I imagine that that could feel overkill and kind of focusing more on like that <sighs> on instilling the idea that you just just go around, just go around, yeah, you know, um, I believe that there was better training for like the rescue personnel who work at um oh the airport, yeah, at sheephole, yeah, but. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So tragic. And it's, I mean, it's amazing that so many people live. Yeah. Like that is so amazing that there wasn't a fire, right? Like that's yeah. like, thank God, like there was no fire. Like it didn't, like the thing that they were afraid of didn't happen. And I'm so glad for that, but. Which seems crazy oh considering gosh. it smashed into the ground. Right. Like that's that's right. wild that they were, it's it took them that long to get that, people out, like that they could, right. you know. It was like a dirt field. Like if you see the, it's, it's, it was like a freshly plowed dirt field and kind of like a misty day. Yeah. And so I do think about like, ah. Uh, and stuff getting into and, into the plane and just the oh my gosh yeah i can't imagine that part of it just the mud yeah, of like I, that sliding. actually was one of the things that came up when they were trying to like get the vehicles as close as they could to the crash right. and they just couldn't it was like heavy clay yeah. mud and all i mean and, all of that missed time adds mm, up like it it really does it you does. know it starts to add up after yeah that. and maybe the truth is, is that when something like this happens, it might not be super clear who is like calling the shots immediately, right? So if you get right. there, if you're like an EMS personnel, you're like a rescue personnel, and you get there, and I don't know if this, I, I was, I don't know. Reports differ, but if, for example, you're a paramedic and you show up. And there's somebody else there saying, no, don't go over there because we don't know if it's going to explode. Then if that person hadn't been there, you might have just run in. But if somebody tells you that, right. then maybe, yeah, I mean, that it's a it's the problem is it's not just about like fear. It's also which is OK. Human fear is a natural emotion and it's very, very hard to override in the moment. But it's also if you do run in and it explodes, then you're just another yeah. 
victim. Right. Somebody else is going to have to rescue you, right. right? Like it it creates, it makes the problem, I don't know, but that kind of confusion. Yeah, I wonder, there must be some sort of chain of command about like who arrives on scene first, like, you know, roles and duties and things like that. I don't know. I don't know if there is, right. but I would imagine that there would be. Like if a firefighter I'm sure that there first, is, you know? but like it, it can take some time to, yeah. it can take time it. to like iron that out or figure it out yeah. or I don't know. But, um, the fact that it didn't catch on fire is amazing. also yeah. means that like it is, and it means that like more people survived. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's very. It sucks. Yeah. It sucks. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of pieces to this story. I found it actually like genuinely pretty tricky to figure out mm. how to tell this. Yeah. But um, our boy Aaron has a video. So many air crash investigation. Green Dot Aviation has a video on this crash. And uh, Mentor Pilot has a video on this crash. And I think that, oh, and there's like a Mayday, which we love all love. Mayday. But Love May Day. But um, I say all that because one of the things that was like, I watched all of them and they all, at least as far as I could tell from my vantage point, had like a reasonably different take on oh, this yeah. story. Yeah. So, yeah. So definitely by all means. And I'm sure that there are, I got to use like Google Translate some to nice. uh, like translate different dutch like articles on it or like turkish articles and um like i said reports differ so by all means um sift through it and and you know come to your best understanding but yeah that is turkish 1951 Turkish Airlines capped the flight number, which is oh, kind of like pretty unusual. Right. So like you can take Turkish oh, Airlines uh, 1951 from Istanbul to Amsterdam right now if you want to. Like which is I don't know why, but yeah. I I don't know what makes some airlines choose to keep the number, but but they did. Well, they have so many flights, so there's only so many numbers, you know. That's true. <laughs> you gotta consider flight numbers. That's true. Yeah. There is something too. There is like a whole when I worked at um Buffalo, I remember um the pilot like if pilots were coming to try to like I don't know, if they arrive from the hotel uh-huh. and they're like at the gates and they're like, Which of these is my plane? <laughs> like and um <laughs> And I one time had been like waiting and waiting and waiting for the crew to get there. And these pilots like came over and like looked at the board and I was like, oh, my God, are you my crew? Like, I was like so happy. And they're like, no. And I'm like, how do you know? (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, that flight number isn't one of our flight numbers. Uh, And I'm like, what? (laughs) Because there is like a whole but there is like a thing um for delta that has all of the like contract carriers oh right yeah there's some system where like numbers like flight numbers that start with this number that number or have four numbers versus three numbers there is like a whole system for figuring out but i don't know what it is so i can't tell you goodness (sighs) i love the conspiracy theories always i know yeah, I was watching, I mean, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but mm. I was watching the um, Malaysian Air, uh, what's the flight number? 370. 370, yeah. Yeah. Um, crazy. Netflix, right? I mean, totally crazy. Like, I can't even. Is it one long, like one documentary or is it like or It's three episodes. But... Yeah, it's funny. Like, okay. I, I never watch Netflix anymore. And I just was one day I was like on yeah. Tuesday I was like let me see what Netflix has, and that was the first thing that popped and then, up. And I was like, perfect, perfect. Um, yeah. But it's three episodes and they go through three different theories of what happened. 
Um, Interesting. Yeah, and it's, I mean, too, like, uh, obviously we don't know, right? Like, and we don't have to talk about this flight in this particular episode, but um, it is interesting to see, like, when, um, you know, there are, like, suspicious things that happen on board or, like, with passenger mm. backgrounds or, like, you know, whatever, how mm-hmm. quickly it can divulge into you know a conspiracy like um mm-hmm. and i'm not going to pretend to know what's right or wrong but like you know it's pretty i would imagine it's pretty hard to take down a plane especially now and mm-hmm. especially post 911 um mm-hmm. and so some of the things just like i don't know just doesn't make sense but always the conspiracy yeah. theories and and different alternative solutions and you know And like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to like give validity to conspiracy theorists, of course, but. um, Well, it's hard, like, because, I mean, people go to jail for conspiracy because conspiracies happen. Right. But it can get really like, it can start to really like pull at the fabric of reality. Exactly. You you know, some of the, you know, our brothers and sisters just really, you know believe in some wild things right right but but the um i don't know i realized i remember feeling like very sad so you know i've wanted to do that story obviously and i have this like fear that i'll like do like an ma like we'll do an mh370 episode and then they'll like find the plane right like, the next day right and then which would be actually be great be like if i could make that happen yeah. then i should really make the stupid episode right. if i could you know just for like the peace of the family members and <laughs> yeah, stuff but yeah, yeah. the um the i also felt like so the 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 plane almost certainly was like in the air for like so long yeah right like six hours maybe um, this is just i haven't i have to watch the documentary i haven't seen it yet yeah. so like but for over six hours one of the theories i believe yeah. and or like probably right because it was still communicating with the satellite right? right so the um but that means that the if they found it tomorrow the cockpit voice recorder would have already started to tape over like the beginning of the flight. So oh, right. that to me like sucks because yeah. even if they found even it. if we found it yeah. tomorrow, that like initial like the most important period that we need to know yeah. is there. Yeah. Right. The flight data recorder would still have that. So you could still see like the inputs that the pilots made. Right. But the actual like words spoken and things like that wouldn't be yeah wouldn't be on there right but well and they do have the um, uh the like uh air traffic control recording too. yeah they have that that yeah and everything seems completely fine until it slips off the radar right but right yeah but i think I it, really, i think it is yeah not not easy in the sense of like um the amount of research that that it takes to tell stories or to create um scenarios but i think it is easy to be frustrated with the lack of knowledge and you like the natural reaction is to plug what information and evidence that you have into some sort of theory i just think that yeah you know um and it does i mean unfortunately uh, I think that the most accepted, like widely accepted um, explanation is that the captain intentionally diverted the plane and then crashed it. But if that's what happened, unfortunately, like that, that does happen, right? right? Like that is unfortunately one of the things that happens very, 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 very rarely. Right. Thank God. But yeah does happen and i i did appreciate this particular documentary because it's it frames everything in a way of like yeah we actually don't know you know like right we don't we actually don't don't know and 
here's a bunch of different options. Here's like the evidence that, you know, they've collected or whoever has collected. Um, but I know who does know, and that's the United States fucking government. I guarantee you, I guarantee, like, I would bet my life on it that the United States government knows what happened. Knows what happened because they know. Or if they don't know what happened, they know if that plane is in the Indian Ocean or not. Mm. Like, they know. They 100% know, mm. I think. There's just no, I think no chance that, that they don't. I think that if I... I don't think there's any way I won't have to edit out my thoughts if I share <laughs> that's them. That's fair. No, that's fair. <laughs> I just think that, like, we, this yeah. is the... Mm, I mean, we can totally reserve this conversation for that episode. <laughs> it's just fresh I in just my mind. That- and this this flight felt like with the conspiracy theory stuff felt very similar. But with this yeah. one, yeah. we do know. Like we actually, right. we actually do know right. what happened with the physical plane. Exactly. You know? There was like the initial fear of something and then Exactly. Maybe. But the, I guess I, ah. Uh, I just think that I don't think that Donald Trump wouldn't have like spilled all the beans. <laughs> that's fair. That's kind of like yeah. I don't know. I don't know, but I say that because like I think that the maybe one of the things that is like very pleasant about like conspiracies in general is this like that like somebody smart is in control right. and like pulling the strings. And I feel like that right. is such like a pleasant at this point. I feel like great. Like I'll take it. Right. I would love it. If somebody like smart was pulling the strings, yes. just, ugh, I but, think, but no, I think, yeah, I don't know. No, 100%. I think it's more, if I was that, Australian though, I would be enraged oh if it turned out that America, like that, if like the no, US government, like knows where the plane is right. and like, I would be so mad. Oh, I would be so mad. I just don't Australia see how... declare war on America. Right, right. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just don't see how they couldn't have some sort of radar images. I just don't, like. It's crazy. <sighs> it's crazy, right? Like, it's crazy how remote it is, too, though. That's right. the thing, right? Like, all of the areas where they searched, like, part of the reason they lost so much time initially in the search and then even once they chose, like, the point in the Indian Ocean to go to, that's what I, I'm saying. Yeah. Like, if America knew that whole time and didn't tell anybody, honestly, Australians declare war on America. Yeah, literally right Just now. Malaysia, Malaysia, the Malaysian and Australian alliance yeah. can just... Yeah. Maybe it was I don't know. Like, and I'm, like, Hawaii. totally being a conspiracy theorist right now, but... I mean, by I, all like, means, just, as is your right as an American. God, <laughs> just can't. Like, that is your right. Yes. And, I mean, yeah. I don't we know. It's just unlikely. Stumble. Like, it just feels so unlikely to me that there is not some sort of satellite images that show what the fuck happened to the plane, regardless yeah. of where it was. Like, I just don't. Regardless of, like, if that data was passed on to the appropriate people, if the, you know, like, whoever knows, some system somewhere, somebody knows. You know what I mean? Like, that's what i that's actually mm-hmm. what i think i don't know yeah and and yeah and maybe not i don't know maybe they maybe it, it really i mean like, i think i think that the u.s government isn't that worried about being jerks to australia too like right. if we're being honest yeah. right like australians tell us what you think like yeah, <laughs> like weigh in because that's <sighs> the other thing is like how much how i don't know how good of an ally is america this is this is gonna have to get <laughs> okay we're gonna leave <laughs> let's it alone. talk about it, it. <laughs> <laughs> i love you so I much you, mariah Casey. wait i do have a fact and... it is a sports fact today oh yes oh my god yes um i've never once remembered i'm so sorry <laughs> i like the fact too it's not like oh okay, no sorry. of course yeah. yeah um i wanted to see if you and your dad actually know this fact i'm sure you do it uh about the jets i was asking ty what should my fact be and he was like do something about the jets and i was like i don't know if that's a good idea but i'm gonna do it anyway (laughs) (laughs) the jets friends who may not be aware are the football team that i hate and because i am a fan of them yeah exactly um so their original name the jets were founded in 1959 with the original name the titans of new york did you know this 
they it was because they were one of the teams that's why like people think that the Jets were like unfairly conspiracied to win the second Super Bowl, right? Was to make the merger go better or whatever. Oh, wait, was go that on. Why? I'm sorry. I think I no, 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 no. Maybe I don't know. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Um, I don't believe that either. I think the Jets won it fair and square. Yeah, but... yeah, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> so, but but they were they the owner at the time went bankrupt, and apparently, mm. according to the internet, and we know how that works, the they changed when they went bankrupt, um. And they were purchased. The own the new owner changed the name from the Titans of New York um, to the Jets because they were supposed to be playing, or they did play, in between LaGuardia and JFK. Mm-hmm. Um, and it rhymed with the Mets. That fact I cannot yeah. actually confirm. It said it in a few no, different the spots. Nets, Jets. Yes. That's okay. The thing, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, Mets, Nets, Jets. It would make yeah. sense, but like, I was like, "Is that actually?" I don't think it's. I don't know how it. I. I don't think it's like. I think it's organic. I guess I'll okay. say it like this. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that the Mets, Nets, Jets thing, where like, but we're Yankees fans and Jets fans, so like right. broken from Buffalo. Yeah. Buffalo. Why? Why? Just broken. <laughs> like. Yeah. I could have just been born and raised a Bills fan, and I would have had the same amount of misery <laughs> for most of my life. Yes, that's not true. gotten my hopes up in 2010. Right, and then I could be even more happy now. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but instead, yeah. Instead, well, my dad was a little boy, <laughs> and the Jets won the Super Bowl, and he's like, "This is it. This is my team." Hey. <laughs> and so here we are. Yeah. Like, yeah. God. Um. Uh. Yes. So that's. And now they're and they're. The Titans are a different football team now. Yes, yes. Also terrible. And I think, I think the reason he changed the name uh, I had read was because Titans weren't as big as the Giants or something. Or tight, the Titans oh. wouldn't beat wouldn't beat a giant in real life. Like a Titan wouldn't beat a giant. I don't know. You can never underestimate the pettiness <laughs> right. of people involved in sports these are the pettiest and i say you me mariah like we can be incredibly petty when it comes to sports always (laughs) it just brings it out right like yeah so good but so yeah the jets it's it's uh flight related i didn't know i didn't even put it together there was a um jets plane like a uh, jet blue jets plane <laughs> at buffalo once oh and it was beautiful yeah but again why would you it's just why do they have to be so bad aaron Rodgers, apparently <sighs> we have to hang up yeah. like, this is too much for my <laughs> too emotionally fair, devastating fair, fair. But, uh, it apparently is happening yeah he, i think he apparently he was like yeah we're working on the contract <sighs> i I don't know what to say about it, but I. (sighs) Let's go. Let's go. Uh, Yeah. Oh, the other thing I was going to say, I forgot. Um, There was apparently a lawsuit against a six six bill. No, six million dollar lawsuit against the Jets and the Giants last year Mm. because Mm. they play in New Jersey, but they're called New York. Like they're called the New York oh Jets, gosh. New York Giants. Uh, yeah. But I, from what I was reading, it looks like it was from like some tourists who were just really pissed off that they had to go to New Jersey to watch a football game. <laughs> <laughs> and so they sued them. You've done that drive. It's the worst it's drive in the world. It's horrifying. It's It's unbelievable. The worst. And basically. Getting from actual. Yes. To, from New York to, New, fro, to the um, MetLife Stadium. East Rutherford, or, New Jersey. Yeah. The worst, right? The worst, and not to mention the no. the traffic trying to get into that stadium during a game. No, it's not worth it. Just oh watch gosh. on TV; it's so much better. Like, yeah, just do no. Just don't go if you're going to a Jets or Giants game. Just don't. Right. Or, I mean, it's it seems terrible. I dropped my dad off at one of the oh. games once and was like, but like dropped him off, probably probably a mile oh, from the at stadium. Least, yeah, I was just like. Have a nice walk. Yeah, you know, right. yeah, you got it. Yeah. Like and he was happy. Like it was he was it's it was fine. But thing, like I it's guess. I don't know. I don't know. For terrible. A terrible team. Yeah. <laughs> like all of that work to see the Jets lose. Right. Anyway, right. I say this with love in my heart. Of course, always. 
I guess I'm an Aaron Rodgers fan now. Ugh, that's that's, that's too far for me. Sorry. That's where I cut it off. Amen. I love you. I love you, Casey. And I love, we love all of you. Oh, were we supposed to ask something about ads? We have ads now. (laughs) Can you hear the ads? Oh, I think you posted that on Facebook or on uh, Instagram. Instagram. I I think that's what I'm remembering. Okay. I did. Yes. If you hear an ad, let us know because we don't know if it's, how well it's working. We don't know what the deal is. Spotify just. This is chaos. Yeah. I was like, hey, here's an ad. But. I love you. I love you. We love all of you. Yep. And story. we love Josh Allen. <laughs> Amen. Yes, we can <laughs> agree on that. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Pod Crashed. We so hope you enjoyed it. I hope you can tolerate that I'm recording this with the uh, little mic on my headphones because it is almost midnight. We decided we try to start putting these out on Wednesday. Um, We haven't been the best at keeping to a schedule anyway, but maybe uh, going back to Wednesday, which I think was our original day when we first started, maybe that's the the key. Um, (laughs) If you notice anything we got wrong or you want to get in touch with us for any reason at all, you can email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok. Or if you're listening on Spotify, then you can uh, check out the question in this episode. And uh, thank you so, so, so much for all of the kindness, sweetness, suggestions, corrections, education that you've sent to us. We never get sick of reading the wonderful things that you write us. And uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>